What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? We are here. It is finally the time is most definitely now. Here we are, the Punch List MMA podcast inaugural episode, UFC 246, McGregor, Cowboy. It's your boy Dale Lippin. It's the other boy on the left coast, the best coast, Trey Van Buster. What's up, brother? I'm so happy that we're doing this. Um, I'm excited to be here, man. And this episode of the podcast brought to you by Stay Classy Meats. Guys, go to stayclassymeats.com, use promo code FIST, and get 10% off your entire order. Trey, what is going on, dude? Dude, it couldn't work out at a better time. This is the first fight, not just of the UFC season, but of the decade. I feel like that was great. We all needed our winter break. Korean Zombie, Frankie Edgar, last fight in the books of 2019. We're into 2020, and we start off with a banger of a card. Outside of people, you know, what they think. They think this might be a little bit of a skeleton card, but I know you, and I know what we've talked about, and there is a lot to dive into. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I think the claims that the card is thin come from the fact that there's not a whole lot of name value outside the headliners, but... That's a typical Conor McGregor card. He wants the spotlight on him. Um, you know, it, they're not going to put a whole lot of other name value on the card because they want it to be the Conor McGregor show. You start putting other name brand people in there, it detracts a little bit away from his attention. And we all know how divas are. They don't like anybody getting their limelight but them. So, you know, name value aside, I think this card is stacked, man. I think there's a bunch of really high-quality matchups here. And, you know, just based on all the work we've done in the last two weeks or so, I would say that the betting public and even the MMA public as a whole, whether you bet or not, seem to agree with us that there's some really close matchups here. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it's more so just based on statistics, but I think the interesting thing is a lot of these fights outside the main fight of Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Conor McGregor, every fight has a story. And those stories are changing Vegas's lines 100%. So we'll look at, you know, veterans, we'll look at guys that are up and coming hot prospects, but through and through, like you said, this card, it's changing daily. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen a ton of line movement. I mean, it's even, I, you know, I'm hesitant even in recording, you know, this now and putting it out when we are, because the lines may move a lot. So as people consume this content, if you like a line that you hear, my encouragement to you is to hop on it while you possibly can, because things are moving. Even in the last couple of days, we've seen a lot of movement come in. Because I don't think that necessarily, or that Vegas necessarily had some of these lines right to begin with. And it looks like the betting public thinks the same thing. One of the fights in particular, and you know, our audience seems to agree with us on this based on the Instagram polls that we did, which if you don't already, follow us on Instagram at PunchListMMA. Uh, but if you know you look at that, this first fight, Drew Dober taking on Nasrat Hawkparast, there has been a ton of movement on this fight. Dober open as a huge underdog and while he's still a sizable underdog at plus 255 hawk Peras is coming back at a minus 355 even in the last couple of days we've seen that fight move a lot and believe it or not well i know you believe it our public seems to think that dober has more than a fighting chance to win this fight absolutely i mean can you ever count out the wily veteran you can't no. and what true dober's actually seen what he's been through what he's done is a statement for him and himself within this fight. Nazrat, first off, we need to make sure that it's not Kevin Gasson Jr. walking in. I know right. he can't make lightweight. He's a welterweight. But we need to verify. USADA's got to make sure that that is his blood. That is who he is walking into that octagon. 23 and me. Yeah, you're going to have to verify that for sure. <laughs> you're going to have to. <laughs> yeah. 
for sure, Nazareth does look like, uh, you know, like a, a dollar store version of Kelvin Gastelum. No <laughs> doubt about that. But he doesn't necessarily fight like Kelvin does. Um, Drew Dober, like, you know, he's won three out of his last four. I think that 31, Drew Dober is entering his prime here. He has had issues in the past with submissions. Um, and Hawk Ross does have a couple of those on his record as far as wins go. I don't know, though, you know, if Hawk Ross is going to be as perfect as he needs to be to get the W here on Saturday night. Drew Dober is motivated. And if he's going to make a push, if he's going to launch himself into that top, you know, that top tier of lightweights, now's a great opportunity. In my opinion, the, the lightweight division is wide open because of the bottleneck that's happening at the one, two, one through five spot. Six through 15 is anybody's game. Anybody can catapult anybody with a couple strong performances, highlight real knockouts. Anybody can get in the mix. I think Drew Dober knows that. I think he's ready to rock and roll. And I think he, you know, he's dead set on not having this prospect make a name off of him. What do you think? I totally agree. And I think this is going to be the most repetitive statement. You're going to hear me say this entire episode, but it's all about dictating pace. And I think if Drew Dober can get in there, not create too much distance. I think a lot of people are worried that Nazareth can actually shoot, bring it to the ground. And like you said, that's where a little bit of vulnerability comes in. His neck becomes available. He's susceptible to chokes. So I think if he can dictate that pace, keep it in good clinch work, create some points for himself, move around the octagon, get him kind of a little bit worried. I think we've got a good fight for Drew. Yeah. But I, like I said on our fight breakdown, Drew Dober needs to approach this fight like a schoolyard bully. He needs to strike first. He needs to strike fast and he needs to strike hard. He has got to win Nasrat's uh, respect and he's got to win it early. He can afford to sit around and wait and see what uh, Nasrat's plan is going to be. He has got to go out there and dictate from, from the word go. He has got to be in control if he's going to win this fight. Um, so what is your thought as far as winning this fight? You know, let's sort of, let, let, let's play advocate here you know, do you think there's a great possibility of an upset here at Drew Dober? Yeah, I think you get good value with Drew Dober. I like Drew Dober in this fight. I think this is a big stage, and I think that comes from the top. And a lot of times that limelight plays into it, especially with a hot, new, and up-and-coming prospect. I like the veteran status. I like where Drew sits. I like it, too. So I'm going to suggest, as far as a betting standpoint, a conservative play, unit-wise, because betting is all about unit management. Um you know, a, a unit typically is, depending on how big you like to play, is either 1% to 10% of your overall betting bankroll. I like to play it at a 1% of my betting bankroll. So for those that are uninitiated, if you had $100 that you were going to go into the night on, I would not suggest playing any more than 2% of your bankroll on this. So in this instance, that would be a $2 bet. Um, now, that's a small conservative bet if that's the way you play or if that's what your bankroll is. But that $2 bet will return you $2.50 for every dollar that you put down. So you're going to win 5 bucks on your $2 bet. It's not a bad return on investment. You could do worse than that. I would suggest a smaller unit investment on Drew Dober based upon what your units are. Um, and we'll, you know, you'll continue to hear me harp on unit management as we move forward. 
But, dude, as we're moving forward, 145, absolute banger of a fight. Andre Feely said today during the press junket he thinks he's the best 145er in the world. Minus 110 taking on the high prospect. Again, veteran versus prospect. Sadiq Youssef sitting at minus 140. Team Alpha Male for life? Are we going forward as MMA here? What's what's going on? Well, you know your boy's always Team Alpha Male for life. I mean, when you know your idol's tattooed on Andre Feely's shin, that just speaks volumes. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> Starting with Andre Feely, though, the one thing I always get really nervous about him, we talked about this, is his not his fight IQ, but his fight temperament. I think he is a guy, if you push him up against the gauge and literally whisper in his ear, fuck you, bitch, (laughs) the whole game plan goes out the window. It's over. But I do think that the interesting thing is we've seen Sadiq Youssef falter to guys that hold an opposite stance. Now, they're both orthodox, right? But we did look at Gabriel Benavides, who they both fought, who was a southpaw, and he struggled against him. The outside leg kick, left hand, that's a little bit tricky. Now, Andre Feely is known to switch stances pretty methodically. So I think if he is able to do that, switch from orthodox to unorthodox, back and forth, I think we could have a good fight. Yeah, I think this is going to be... I think this could be contender for fight of the night. Um, you know, the longer it goes, the more solidified that claim will be. Uh, where you run into this problem, though, is that we've never seen Yusef really suffer adversity. So we don't know what it's like when he gets hit. So maybe he responds poorly and the fight could end very quickly. But we have seen him crack people. And we know Yusef has one shot knockout power. Uh, I'm glad you said it with the Gabriel Benitez fight. He suffered against a southpaw. He was getting eaten up to the body because we all know orthodox, the southpaw, that kick to the body, that liver shot is wide open. And Benitez was able to punish Yusef with those kicks. I think Andre Feely is a light years better striker than Gabriel Benitez is. And I think that he's going to be able to get it done. I really think that this is, you know, I want to say this is too much too soon for a guy like Yusef as far as veteran savvy goes, a guy that's been there big time before, faced the, you know, some of the upper echelon fighters at 145. Uh, you know, he's been there, he's done that. I don't want to say Feely's entering his prime, but he's never appeared more comfortable inside the octagon than he has the last 18 months to two years. He's he's really entered his own. I like Feely with the upset here at minus 110. Would not be sh- shocked to see come fight night if Feely is actually the betting favorite. I totally agree. And I think the uh, betting public, you know, via the polls we did on our Instagram, originally I think they were in that same type of ideology. It switched a little bit. 46% of the public thinks that Andre Feely is not going to win this fight. 54% think it will go to Sadiq. They're probably thinking that overhand right, like you said, it could crack anyone at any moment. But, yeah, close, close fight for sure. Yeah. So let's go with the fight that we recently broke down on our Instagram. Uh, Roxanne Modafari, the peaceful warrior, or the ha- is it the happy warrior, peaceful warrior? That's the happy warrior. Oh yeah, the happy warrior. <laughs> yeah, and Leslie Smith is the peaceful warrior, I believe. Is what it is. Then Modafari, the happy warrior, taking on Macy. Is she the future? Or is she the phenom? What, she's what the everything, she, but she is the future, I guess. She she keeps changing it up. She she's got a lot of adjectives for herself. Taking on Macy Barber. She's Macy Barber is a minus 1000 favorite uh, Modafari coming back at plus 725. And I want to say this before we get too deep into this fight. Modafari has quality wins over world champions. Um, she does have the ability to win this fight, but she's got to get outside the first round. She has got to weather the storm. The big question mark is, can she weather the storm? She is notoriously durable. 
she has a heart made of absolute like like Game of Thrones dragon glass. She is <laughs> she is absolutely carved um, of of metal and moxie. However, can Roxanne weather the storm? Will a referee allow her to weather the storm to get to round two? Yeah, and I think. This one hurts everyone's hearts a little bit. They don't want to see the onslaught that they know Macy Barber is going to bring in that first round. What they want to see is Roxanne move, touch, kind of run around the cage a little bit, frustrate Macy. But gosh, you just got to love Roxanne for who she is. She is a pure martial artist and she loves every facet of what she's trained. I mean, she talked about it when she fought uh, the Shevchenko sister, that in the midst of that fight, she got a butterfly sweep and she was so psyched that she got that butterfly sweep of months and months of practice. That was the biggest capitalizing moment for her. And at the end of the day, right. she needs to not look at it so much from a, Hey, what can I do really well that I've trained on, but how can I put a complete fight together? And like you said, weathering that first round is how she's going to do it. Yeah. It, it's absolutely critical that she gets this out, gets out of the first round. Her own, out, if she's going to get it done in the first round, it's going to be, you know, because maybe Barbara hits her or takes her down or something like that. And maybe while they're, they're dry still, she's able to, you know, throw up a triangle, snatch an arm, heel hook, even something, something wild. This almost has like the, um, a feel of a, of a Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir one style situation mm-hmm. to it, where it's like absolute killer versus somebody where they're like okay we're not really sure how this is going to get done but you have the skills to get this done so maybe a heel hook something like that you know Matafari's been wild she'll roll she'll you know Imanari roll herself into something no problem she you know I just she cannot afford to stand and bang she doesn't have the footwork for it she doesn't have the power she's got to play to her skills here which are survive outlive outlast out tough and get a submission I totally agree. She's got to have somewhat of a Ryan Hall mindset. He knows Ryan Hall is not going to stand up and strike. He's going to go for that Imanari role. He's going to do something unorthodox and hopefully capitalize on a crazy win. So that's yep. what we hope for Roxanne. I will say, did you see the text message that Macy Barber put up as a screenshot to what Roxanne was asking for her? Did you see that? No, I saw something about a bathtub. They had like a they had an exchange about a bathtub. Was there something besides that? There's nothing much to it, but essentially this is just how pure Roxanne is. She wanted to make sure at the hotel that they were staying, if there was a bathtub, a lot of the one tower of the hotel did not have bathtubs and a lot of fighters utilize bathtubs for their weight cut. So she wanted to ensure that Macy had a bathtub and that if she didn't, she could help find additional uh, accommodations. Unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Smart. I mean, listen, she, she's, she's, she's a great ambassador for the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, she's, She's humble, uh, you know, she's professional and she wants the best out of, you know, not only for herself, but her opponents and her opponent's team, her team, everybody. She just wants everybody to, you know, realize that they're living the dream. And I mean, I can I can appreciate that day in and day out. But you had mentioned something, you know, and a word I want to capitalize on here, unorthodox. And there's nobody more unorthodox than, you know, the fight that's going to kick off this pay-per-view card. Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis has taken on Diego Ferreira. Ferreira is probably, in my opinion, I don't think there's anybody that's on that that's as white hot as he is right now. He is absolutely burst on the scene. The betting public is finally starting to pay attention to him, and this is a real showcase of that based upon his matchup with the former champion and Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis, a plus two hundred underdog to Diego Ferreira, who's sitting at minus two sixty, and most people. If you don't watch the UFC regularly, are going who the hell is Diego Ferreira? 
and he is how is he this big of a favorite over Anthony Pettis? Yeah, and I think it all comes from, and the reason he staged on this main card is the Mirabek Tysimov fight. He stood up, he striked with that guy all day long who looks bigger, stronger than Anthony Pettis, and his ground skills are amazing. He's BJJ world champ. Like, this guy's legit. So the question is, what type of deep waters does he want to take Pettis into? Does he want to get into a striking match, which we've all seen he can definitely participate in, or, like he had stated, I want to maybe bring this to the ground. I'm not sure what Pettis' pedigree is on the ground. Let's see how he fares. Right. The only thing that that Ferreira has really struggled with throughout his career, the two blemishes that he has on his record, come against elite-level strikers, which Anthony Pettis is. He would be wise, in my opinion, to not even to, to eliminate that factor. Let's get Pettis on the ground. Let's try to get him out of there. You know, there's no point. There's no. There's nothing to be proven in staying on, on the feet and trying to strike with Anthony Pettis. People already know that you have relatively good skills. They already know that you're competent based on the Tysum, uh, the Tysumov fight. You don't need to prove anything else by going there and going to a, you know, a, a, a standard fisticuffs bout with Anthony Pettis. Drag him to the ground, choke him out, get your performance bonus, and move on to the next thing. That, that would be my idea. I totally agree. I think a lot of things we want to know what type of Anthony Pettis we're going to see. From a headspace perspective, he definitely has an ebb and flow to him. You know, the thoughts of uh, suing USADA, how much is that playing into his mental fortitude? I don't know what time it's going to show up. Are we going to get a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson type Pettis or are we going to get a Nate Diaz type Pettis? Right. I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 it bears mentioning, too, that, you know, as long as Anthony Pettis has been in the UFC, you know, his brother's been there as well. And Sergio recently departed. He's gone to Bellator. If you look at the the Bellator lightweight division, it is wide open um, with guys like the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Pitbull brothers bouncing back and forth, Michael Chandler. That's really about it. It's not the, it's not the deepest division, not to mention that you've got Benson Henderson sitting over there again. And you know that you can always sell tickets, wolf tickets or not. You can sell tickets with Anthony Pettis versus Ben Henderson. If you give them a rematch at one another, there's a lot of bad blood there, a lot of history there. I would not be surprised if, if we see Ferreira dispatch Pettis very quickly and see Pettis bid adieu uh, to his UFC relationship. And I believe that the suing of USADA, which the UFC has put in place to oversee these things, is the is the fat like the fabric, the the framework crumbling with that UFC relationship suing 100%. USADA. So I could see I could see Pettis absolutely uh on the way out if he's able to or if rather if Ferrer is able to go ahead and get him out of there quickly i don't know i don't know where his headspace is at because you always want to go where you, you know you want to go where your family's at you want to go where you're appreciated and i could see that happening because you know what he doesn't want to be a guy like anthony pettis does not want to be a gatekeeper and he's a no. gatekeeper now he's so he's the most he's the most solidified gatekeeper in the ufc there's nobody else that's that he because he fought at 145, 145, 170, and 155, and he's nowhere near a title shot in any three of those divisions. You cannot be any more solidified as a gatekeeper than Anthony Pettis, and he doesn't want to be that. You know he wants to be a world champion. So mm -hmm. possibly Bellator bound. I like Ferreira. I don't think you can get him at a good price at minus 260. I would just stay away from this fight unless you're a really big Showtime fan. I'd stay away from it. There's not, you know, There's too many variables. Pettis might actually go out there and knock Ferreira out. And it's not worth putting a big unit play on, on on either one because there's just no value on it. So 
Um, but here's something that's a lot closer, man. This is one that, you know, you and I are, are, are in agreement that it's about as close of a matchup as possible. Betting public is as well as our Instagram poll at punch, uh, punchlist MMA. Claudia Gadalia taking on Alexa Grasso. It's, I mean, which means Vegas thinks it's, it's an even fight too. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts here? Well, the real winner um, is both of them. Uh, they're both gorgeous. And not just that, but the Instagram followers and association, they're both going to go up exponentially. They will both get the verified blue check mark. That is without a doubt. <laughs> um, but right. outside that, yeah, we put up a poll 50-50 straight up. Not one vote to the either side to you know move the needle. This is going to be a tough fight. I think the UFC wants more than anything Alexa Grasso to win this fight. I mean, Claudia Gadelia, great fighter, but she's fought everyone at the top. If Yana Jinchekchek wins against Wei Lei Zhang, nobody's going to want to see Claudia fight for the third time against Yana Jinchekchek. No one's going to want to see that. No one's going to want to see any of these previous fights she's had. Alexa Grasso has a lot of marketing behind her. She could be a Latin American champion. The UFC, I wouldn't be surprised if she has a horrible fight against Claudia and Dana White sneaks a $50 bill under the table to the judges and gets this one passed. Yeah, I would not be surprised either. Liz, I think I think Alexa Grosso has all the skills necessary to win this fight. Um, she just needs to stay off the cage. She's got to stay off the cage. She is not the, the fastest starter in the world. She's not the most nimble, flat-footed at times. And it depends on what kind of Gedalia we're going to see. We've seen, you know, Gedalias that come out and, and she fight. They it, it's very much a uh, Jessica Andrade style approach where she just stands right in front of you and throws hammers um, like an absolute tank that's ready to get you out of there. And then we've also seen her take a Carla Esparza style approach where she comes out and doesn't throw a punch for an entire round. All she wants to do is wrestle you. Grosso needs to hope and pray that it's the Andrade style Gedalia approach that she sees come Saturday night because that's the, that's the Gedalia that she can beat. Um, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. The UFC is desperate for a Latin American superstar. And not only that, one that speaks good English and Alexa Grosso <laughs> can speak English. And she, you listen, she, you know, she's Mexican. She speaks good English. She's pretty. She's talented. She is the lifeblood of the Latin American market for, as far as women go in the UFC's lower weight class divisions. And, you know, you've got... You've got Rodriguez for the men, and you've got Grosso for the women. There's really not much, you know, with Kane Velasquez now being gone, there's really not much, unless I'm missing somebody, there's really not much in the Latin American market that's calling people and in, in selling seats. I know Kelvin Gastelum speaks Spanish, and he identifies, you know, he's, he, he's a, a Latin American as well, but I don't, he's not entrenched in it the way these, other, these others are. Um, and I think Alexa Grosso is that call to arms for the UFC. And I'm with you. I think I think they desperately, deep down, want her to win this fight. Um, and I think she has all the skill set to get it done. It's at a pick em. I would advise people, go with your gut, go with your heart. If you think Grosso is going to win, go Grosso. If you think uh, Gedalia, go Gedalia. You can't go wrong in a fight like this. The fans are going to win. It'll be it, It's a fan-friendly fight for sure. Totally agree. Yeah. So, all right. Now... Let's let's touch on the heavyweight the the heavyweight fight that's on the main card here, and it's one that you and I 
outside of it being a heavyweight bout, cannot figure out why this is on the pay-per-view portion of the card mm-hmm. when there's other fights in the prelims that should most definitely be filling the spot. But that's Alexi Olenek taking on Maurice Green. With due respect to both gentlemen, this is not a pay-per-view style matchup. Does not need to be there. It's there because people like to see big guys punch each other in the face. But unfortunately, uh, you got two guys that aren't really prone to punching other people in the face. And Alexi Olenek and Maurice Green, both these guys like to take people down. Olenek sitting at plus 110. Green sitting at minus 140. Alexi Olenek has nearly 70 fights of martial arts experience. I think this is way too much too soon for uh, Maurice Green. And I think Olenek wins this fight. I think he drags him to the ground. I think he chokes him out. This is one of the lines that Vegas has me really sort of scratching my head with. I think this should be way in the other favor of, of Olenek. What are your thoughts? I think Olenek, just like you said, he's kind of the older version of Alistair Overeem. The guy's had a billion fights. And kind of speaking of Alistair Overeem, that's one person that's knocked him out. He's had seven knockout losses. Yep. So you have to wonder at 42 years old, what's where's his chin? Um, I think with Maurice Green, we don't really have the historical data and association that shows that, you know, he could withstand punches. You know, he's coming off a KO. Um, but I think that when you look at Alexi, he's definitely fought. He's been under the big lights. He's fought the bigger pedigree. You know, I, I'm kind of thinking heavyweight fights are always a pick to me. I think that if anyone can clip anyone, it's game over. Um, I do think that if Maurice can actually close the distance and get a couple shots off, I'm really questioning Alexi Olnick's chin. Yeah. Well, the average age of a UFC heavyweight fighter is 36 years old. So it is an old man's game in the heavyweight division. Um, 42, obviously, is dinosaur status via MMA, but there's a big difference between being a 42-year-old bantamweight and a 42-year-old heavyweight, um, because you're not it, it, you're not going up quite against quite so many young, fast, hungry guys, um, which is you know what makes you know up and comers like Ty Tuivasa so appealing, and you want to see them do well because mm-hmm. it's a little bit of fresh blood. But the problem with that is is you get these younger heavyweights in, and they go up against these guys with veteran savvy like Alexi Olenek, and they end up getting beat. You lose a couple in a row and then you want you know, there's there's such a disparity in the age and experience in the UFC heavyweight division it's hard to find a young guy that's trying to interject new life um, so this this fight is no different than that you have two older gentlemen going at it with one another Olenek to me based on 70 fight experience man I just feel like at some point in time he's going to catch you know Green who has less what, what I think Green has 11 professional fights Mm-hmm. Um, or this will be his 11th fight. It's just, there's no comparison as far as what they've seen as to, you know, what they're capable of doing. Olenek has lost more fights than Green has <laughs> total. Had, yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, it's a very, that experience disparity is, is one of the craziest things to me. I like Olenek. Uh, I think plus 110 is a great, a great price on him. I wouldn't blame anybody for, for going uh, going at either one of these guys, but I'll personally be playing a Linux just based off experience alone. I like so. it. I think uh, the public was saying uh, via punch li- uh, punch list, forty seven percent were to um, a Linux, fifty three at Marie Screen. So I think they are trying to capitalize. It might be a little bit of a casual fan looking at the younger, more youthful fighter. You know, Marie Screen is a big, scary dude. So I guess we'll just see what happens there. But close lines. Yeah, six foot. Six. 
Devin, I mean, he needs to do is he needs to front and and absolutely smash Olenek every chance he gets and just avoid Olenek being able to hold on to him. He's got that grip. If he Even if he can get a hold of a wrist, if he can touch it, a hold of you, he's going to snatch something. So you just got to, you have to use that six foot seven frame if you're green to your advantage and absolutely get him out of there. Do not let him touch. So speaking of people that are getting up there in age, Holly Holm taking on Raquel Pennington. Holly Holm, you know, look, man, I don't know where she goes from here. Even a win over Pennington, they're running this fight back. I don't know where she goes with a win here. What what on earth, if you're Holly Holm, could you possibly be fighting for other than a paycheck here? <laughs> a title shot is not in possibility anywhere in any division. Unless she can go down to the lowest weight possible, she's not getting another title shot, man. So why run it back against Raquel Pennington, who you barely got before? I think Pennington comes out on the right side of the judges this time. I think Pennington is going to send Holly home into with a win. I, whether it's a knockout or whether it's a decision, I think Holly Holm's done after this fight. Raquel Pennington by hooker or by crook, that's who I'm taking in this fight. And real quick to get into those odds, because uh, I breezed over it, Holmes at a minus 145, Pennington at plus 115. So another underdog play on my part. But I think, I think Pennington gets it done. Yeah, and a lot of people would argue that that first fight actually should have uh, fallen into Pennington's lap. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of, it's very argumentative as to what actually happened and you know what's decision which went which with which went each way wow stutter for there uh, but holly home here's the crazy thing a lot of people have seen her decline and that decline came at the pinnacle moment which was the old you know question mark kick to ronda rousey's face we haven't seen her do well since then at 38 years of age you have to look at not even just how she's been doing in her previous fights with five losses but you also have to think the turmoil that's going in her surrounding her life. Jackson Wink, that has been like the most, I mean, prolific gym right now for pure turmoil. The amount of fighters that have been leaving there, the fighters that have been coming in. I mean, from a headspace perspective, I just don't see a clear look. And we and what we talked about was Raquel Pennington looks the loosest she's ever been. She looks happy. She looks healthy. She looks ready to go. You know, I just see kind of a, a tired, sluggish. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but this is all just based on cosmetics. But I'm just not seeing the Holly Holm of you know yesteryear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's always been sort of the thing. You know, we she's had she's been very open, vocal about her own struggles with motivation, her own struggles with self belief, her own struggles. You know, from a mental health standpoint, in that regard, when it comes to fighting, it seems to be a mixed bag as to whether or not she actually loves it anymore. Um, and she's been suffering because of that. I mean, look, you know, you look at the knockout loss she suffered to Amanda Nunes when they fought. You do not easily bounce back from that. That's not something that you come back from easily. And like you said, Jackson Wink Jim has been turned absolutely upside down on top of the fact that she recently got divorced uh, within the last two years or so. You know, and you eight. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know Holly personally. I won't pretend to know anything about her personal life or what she thinks, feels, or believes. But at 38 years old, a lot of women competing in mixed martial arts at 38 years old, and you don't see them competing at a high level the way it's expected. It just does not – It her days seem numbered in this regard, and that's not a knock on her or her career. I just think that we're in the twilight 
here. And mm-hmm. if you look at a person like Pennington, I think Pennington's got one more good run in her. She was very competitive in the Amanda Nunes fight. She just took way too much damage. Yeah. Um, it was just too much damage. It's a poor game plan, and it was she just took a ton of damage. But some of those wrongs, you correct some of those from a game plan perspective. You can absolutely sell people on the rematch of her versus Amanda Nunes should she go out there and get Holly Holm out of there emphatically. Because if we're being honest, the UFC is scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to find people that are going to be a worthy opponent for Amanda Nunes at either featherweight or bantamweight. And going out there and getting an emphatic win could almost assuredly book you a rematch at some point down the road. So Pennington getting it, getting it done this time decidedly judges be damned. Um, by, like I said, by hook or by crook. I like Pennington plus 115. I like it. I think who comes into this fight less mentally shot, like you alluded to, when Pennington fought Nunes, got absolutely fucked up. She's never really been the same since then. Holly Holm has been on a complete losing streak. Who's going to come in a little bit more mentally sound? I do think it's going to be Pennington as well. I think decision for Rocky. Yeah. Plus, it's hard to cheer. You know, it's hard to go against anybody that goes by Rocky. And she is a fan favorite. People do like her style. Not a lot of women go out there and bite down on the mouthpiece and swing. And Pennington's one of the ones that does that. You know, she I don't want to necessarily call her a fan favorite, but she is, you know, people see her on a card and they pay attention to the fight. And you you throw a rematch in there like this that, like you said, was controversial in nature. You can absolutely um, you can absolutely make the case that. A, a decisive win here, even though it would be over an aged Holly Holm, could put Pennington in the driver's seat for a title shot. But all that be damned, the main event gets no more fan friendly than this. Mm-hmm. Conor McGregor making his return, taking on Donald Cowboy Cerrone. This fight, in my opinion, is happening about five years too late, but I'll take it any way I can get it, man. Uh, Connor is a sizable favorite at minus three, four, three Cowboys sitting at a plus. What are your thoughts on this? You know, you're, you're the proper gentleman himself. <laughs> I, I will absolutely defer to hear your, your thoughts first. Well, first off, I want to tell you, I am not biased at all. <laughs> if you're listening to this in audio portion, I'm holding up a proper 12 bottle and a bobblehead of Conor McGregor. But the reason I think I'm such a fan is, and not just of Conor McGregor, but of this fight, is the storylines from both sides. You have a guy that is the true rags to riches, the glass ceiling at riches, the erosion of a human, and now the rebirth. We're all mm. seeing Connor. Yeah, you like that? That was That's a movie trailer right there. I was say poetic, bro. You can get Thank a you. Cope. Get and then on the other side, you've got Bye. you've got the quintessential blue collar man. You've got the guy that never says no. The guy that goes in, treats it like a nine to five job. Is an every man. You know, is living his life. He's out in Vegas. He's got his, on his motorcycle, going down the strip with a group of guys. He is an everyman. And I think when you have an opportunity to give Cowboy, like you said, he should have gotten this five years ago, the platform to make an amazing wage for himself, but also showcase how badass this guy is, you could have fireworks on both ends. And I think a lot of people, and I really don't like it, are counting Cowboy out. I know stylistically, you're just going to shred that to pieces, but I think that every dog has their day, and he has a couple tools in his tool belt that could make it pretty interesting for Connor. 
Yeah. No, I, I listen. He absolutely does. If you're looking at just, you know, dollars to donuts, who has more ways to win this fight? Cowboy Cerrone's got more ways to win this fight than Connor does. Uh, Cowboy can get it done on the feet. He can get it done on the ground and he can outpace Connor. So, you know, he, he has absolutely more ways to win this fight than Connor McGregor does. He absolutely does. But again, like I said, I would have liked to have seen this five years ago. If you look at some of the wars that Cowboy's been in over the last five years, he has suffered a lot of damage. Justin Gaethje hits like the truck. Nobody's going to say that he doesn't. The man's known for his power. But the punch that put Cowboy down was not Justin Gaethje's best shot. It wasn't even the cleanest shot. And it put it put Cowboy in all types of trouble. You know, he was two stepping down Queer Street after getting hit in that getting hit in that fight. That's just not the that that's not the cowboy that we've come to know and love. And you take that and you couple it with the cannon of a left hand that Conor McGregor possesses, and not to mention Conor is a southpaw, which has been a notorious kryptonite for Cowboy Cerrone. And all the makings are is that this fight stylistically is a terrible matchup for him. And I think that it will be. Um, the UFC, despite what they say, they want they want Connor to feast on Cowboy here. Um, they are looking at, you know, Cowboy as the sacrificial lamb of love and affection. And everybody thinks that, you know, he's just the, they're, they're still treating him as if he's this top tier contender. Mm-hmm. Listen to me now. I'm even talking about him like he is. But realistically, he's not. He's really not. He's not. He's not challenging for a title shot anytime soon. He's not going to be competitive with anybody in the top five at welterweight or lightweight. And we saw what Tony Ferguson did to him. I don't care that people say that he was maybe coming back in that Tony Ferguson fight before he blew his nose. He wasn't. He was getting annihilated. Mm -hmm. What that was was a great white shark that was taking small bites. He was still getting mauled. It was Mm -hmm. over with. That fight was done. Now, Connor, you know, Cowboy's got more ways to win this fight. He's got the veteran savvy. He's got experience. He can absolutely get this done. But stylistically, it's a nightmare matchup for him. And they want to use his name as a catalyst, as a catapult to justify a McGregor versus Khabib rematch. That's Mm -hmm. what they want. That's what they want. They're just using name value alone. It's not about skills with Connor. It's about name. And Cowboy is the name out there that gets it done. Justin Gaethje would be if it was about skills, but it's not about skills. It's about name. Cowboy's the name out there that people will associate to help justify a rematch worth it versus Khabib. So how does Cowboy get this done? Um, there's a couple things. One, Eddie Alvarez said it best. He said, Connor is the best five minute fighter on the planet. He is a round one demolition truck. If you can weather the storm, get into the later rounds, test his cardio, which we know Cowboy has better cardio than Connor, that's where he can capitalize. But inadvertently, Cowboy is a horrible, horrible, he's probably the ranked 500th best first round fighter on the planet. So like Eddie had said, he said, you know what I did before a couple of my fights? I brought in one of the Pettis brothers, uh, Sergio. We sparred right before I walked out of the cage and we went full contact. So what Cowboy should do is he should have a straight up sparring session and walk into that octagon like round one is really round two. And that's how he's going to get it going. So I think with a fast start, I think maintaining distance, he doesn't want to get into boxing range with Connor because he knows that's where he's just going to get worked. 
maintain a little bit of clinch work, maybe try and get some shots, bring it to the ground. There's some, there's some workability there, but I think he needs to start off drastically different than he has in the past. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think if you look at the way Cowboys started the Mike Perry fight, it's going to be telling as to what his, what his plan will be for this fight. Um, Cowboy was obviously concerned with the power of Mike Perry and Mike Perry rushed across the octagon to get near him. And I think Connor will do much of the same. Connor's very big with hand fighting, loves to put that lead right hand out and sort of try to grab your wrist, throw that left hand down the pipe, loves to, you know, throw teep kicks and side kicks to the body, loves all those things. But if you look at that Mike Perry uh, cowboy fight, Mike Perry ran across the octagon at cowboy and cowboy sort of froze up a bit. Right. And what was his reaction when he froze up? He immediately shot. I think it was probably the only time I've ever seen Cowboy shoot for a takedown. Right. Shot for a takedown on Mike Perry. Now, it was stopped, and he gave up on it fairly quickly, but that seemed to be how he was using that to sort of reset himself. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something similar. You know, Cowboy brought in Yair Rodriguez to emulate Conor McGregor, this training camp. You'll see a lot of creative striking out of a guy like Yair Rodriguez, but he's also going to be able to you know, address the length issues that ca- that's going to be an issue for Cowboy. Um, you know, Connor fights very long. He has that elongated karate style stance, not to mention the fact that he's got a really big wingspan, whereas Cowboy takes a more traditional Muay Thai approach where everything's tight, compact. He's a ball. He's balled up. He doesn't get that loose. And as he gets older, he's not getting any, he's not getting any looser as he gets older. So bringing in a guy like Yair Rodriguez could definitely help with that. I don't know how much it's going to, I would not be surprised, you know, Cow bitch claims be damned. I really would not be surprised if Cowboy uses the threat of a takedown to help push things out further or even take it, you know, at least maybe even get into a clinch style situation and keep things in the clinch because he's got all the tools necessary to win this fight and more ways to win it than Connor does. He just has to do, like you said, like Eddie Alvarez said, he has got to take some gas out of that tank as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think you are failing to mention who Connor brought in for his training camp, though, in Dylan Dennis. You're right. I am. I, well, <laughs> here's the thing, though, is that I I read somewhere that Dylan Dennis now charges people to even say his name. So I didn't want to incur any added cost <laughs> in bringing up such a legend and not having to uh, and not having the necessary money to pay to use his name or likeness. So Smart I didn't man. want to bring I didn't want to bring that up. Um, but now, now that we're getting charged ten thousand dollars a time to say his name, I'll just say Dylan Danis, Dylan Danis, Dylan Danis, <laughs> and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, but I listen. I think Cowboys got more ways to win this fight. I think it's a nightmare matchup for him, though. Um, I would have loved to have seen this fight five years ago, uh, back before Cowboy took a bunch of damage and when Connor was still feeling himself. Um, he still feels himself quite a bit. Um, I don't think that a win over Cowboy justifies the Khabib rematch, but I feel like I feel like Connor fighting for a lightweight belt next is just it's inevitable. Um, if Tony beats Khabib, they're gonna say, "Well, it's not Khabib, so let's let Connor fight Tony." And you know, Tony's wanted a piece of Connor for years. And then if it's if Khabib beats Tony, they're gonna say, you know, it's the rematch, and that's what they're gonna push anyway. So I feel like it's inevitable uh, that Connor's gonna get the fight for that lightweight belt yet again. Um, but yeah, I think Connor gets us done. I think he gets it done in round one, round one, uh, Connor McGregor is plus 200. So that's the play I'm going to suggest Connor McGregor round one plus 200. I like it. Yep. Um, public thinks relatively the same 70, 30 split. Um, I think everyone knows this is a 
this is a good wait for Connor. I think if in fact the Tony and Khabib fight doesn't come to fruition, he is the fighter on deck. He doesn't want to cut weight twice. I think uh, he looks healthy, you know, based on his sparring sessions and everything we've seen. At 155, he definitely had a little bit more spring in his step. At 170, when we saw him fight against Nate Diaz, um, he just looks a little bit slower, you know, a little bit sluggish. You are carrying, you know, 15 more pounds, but he looks fast. He looks ready to go. I think, like you said, it gets done round one. I like the odds on that. That's what I would take all day. Yeah, plus 200. I think that's good. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll put some different prop plays and different prop bets up on Instagram as we get closer. Guys, if this is your first time listening to the show, um, well, as far as the punch list goes, it's everybody's first time listening to the show. But, you know, those that are new to the community, you can follow us on Instagram at punchlistmma. Subscribe on YouTube, punchlistmma. And then if you want to find the podcast, if you're watching this in video format and you want to find it audio, we're available on Apple. Uh, we're available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, anywhere that you can go to find a podcast, more than likely you're going to find us there. If you can't find us there or you want to give us tips, tricks, or tell us that we're stupid or that you love us, you can email us at chat uh, at punchlistmma.com. Tell us if you want to find us somewhere podcast-wise and can't, and we'll make sure that we can get ourselves on there. But normally, uh, 90% of the world's most common podcast platforms, we are available on there if you if you want to consume this in audio format. But if you like what we did, like, subscribe, share on whatever format that you have. Uh, we, we'd appreciate it a great deal. And then be sure to take advantage of our sponsors, Stay Classy Meats. Go to stayclassymeats.com. Use promo code FIST. Like what Trey wants to punch me with, his fist. And it'll give you 10% off your entire order. Or if you set up a subscription at stayclassymeats.com, it'll take 10% off each and every order every time your subscription is fulfilled. But that's really about it, guys. Trey, episode one in the books, man. What do you think? I'm ready. I think the uh, one thing we didn't talk about, and I want to close it on this, is the biggest fight of the night. That is Proper 12 versus Budweiser. Well, you give your take That's and right. kind of send us out with a nice little cheers. Well, I'll tell you what, there is no, you know, although I come from a family of immigrants, I, I fancy myself the most red-blooded American male, or at least amongst them. Um, I even wore, you know, a little red, white, and blue Under Armour shirt for the episode today. I'm not, I'm not, call, I'm not collar shirted up like you. Um, you got your best Joe Rogan shirt on. I really appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, as far as, look, if it, you know, if it's my everyday drink, it's it's Bud. You know, not that I drink Budweiser every day, but if you're asking me what I'd rather drink every day, 100% I'd rather drink Budweiser. Um, but if, you know, you know what? I am just going to go Budweiser all day because I, I I can't pretend to like Proper 12 in any context because my I go with the only Irish whiskey worth a damn, and that's Jameson. So it's Budweiser <laughs> and Jameson for your boy. That's really it. But what about you? Well, your boy will drink anything, and he'll cheers with you at anything. <laughs> Put anything in front of me that gets you a little buzz, and we're good to go. So I'm excited to cheers with you on fight night. we got our first fight on Saturday of the new decade. Let's get it going. Like Dale said, follow us on all social channels, and we will check in with you guys the following fight after this Saturday. Yeah. you got. Do you have a fancy send-off? I know you got real poetic earlier when you were talking about Connor. Do you have a fancy send-off or no? Or did I say Aaron Gobra? Aaron Gobra. Aaron. There it is. All right, guys. Thanks.